0: Good evening. You can hear me okay? Thanks so much, Barry, for that intro and the stand. and the. Um, oh, hang on. I keep putting the microphone up my nostril and then it sounds like we're in really windy weather. Is that, is that better? So, there you go. So, anyway, you can hear me okay? As long as I don't breathe heavily, we're all okay. Um, I brought my better half this evening. My wife Anna's here with me. So, uh, Feel free to come and say hi to Anna afterwards. And uh, we're, we're about to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. Uh, I don't feel old enough. I don't feel old enough to be celebrating a 20th wedding anniversary. Age is a weird thing, isn't it? And I um, still feel about 18, and, uh, but, but clearly not. Uh, lots of gray hairs coming on now. Um, but this is great to be here with you this evening and um, not a surprise at all to be here this evening. <laughs> I, do you know, I still thought you had one service in the morning, so I was ready for one service until Vicky announced at the end that I'd be coming back this evening, so here I am. <laughs> so, um, but this is a very thoroughly prepared word. <laughs> um, and it will probably be miles better than this morning because I was far too polished to have any power. But this is going to come straight from the heart. And um, I'm glad you're laughing because we're about to talk about money, (laughs) which is quite a contentious topic in church. But it's really going to build on what we were talking about this morning, Um, that God's heart for us is that we are blessed, that we prosper, that we feel like we are making progress towards goals for our future. Um, in every area of our life. That letter that John wrote, uh, that third letter, when he says, look, I pray that you would prosper. I desire for you to prosper in all things and be in health. I mean, it's like there's nothing excluded from that definition. Um, And it includes in the area of money. Um, But money is one of those taboo subjects that we just don't like to talk about in church. Um, we're British, you know, we're very private about our money and our sex life, and you can't go in either one of those two areas. Now, the good news is I'm only talking about money tonight. Um, But but we're strange people, aren't we? We don't like to talk about some of the things that are actually very, very important to kind of um, get to grips with. So we're going to talk about money. Martin Luther said this, he said, there are three conversions that a person ought to go through when they become a Christian. Conversion of the mind, conversion of the heart, and a conversion of the wallet. And he said that the conversion of the wallet was the hardest. You know, I didn't make that up. That was Martin Luther. Don't stone me. And, um, and it's just interesting that um, it, is, it is just that because it's so important to us. In the Bible, there are 500, roughly 500 references about <laughs> prayer, 500 references about faith, but around 2,500 about money. So God's very comfortable talking about money, it's not a topic that He shies away from. In fact, He talks about it a lot because He knows it's so important to us. So we need to talk about money because it's such a key issue. Uh, I mean, let's just do a straw poll, who in the last 24 hours has handled money? Everybody. There isn't a single person that, that hasn't put their hand up. Because we're dealing with it on a daily basis. So we need to be smart. We need to be wise with the, in the area of finance because God wants us to prosper in that area. Now, I'm not talking about naming it and claiming it and you know I just want every kind of material object that I can possibly have and become really wealthy. That there is a power in finance if you understand that the prosperity that God intends for you in this area is because there's a purpose for it for not just you but for other people around you. And that now becomes a very different conversation. See, most of us have a problem with money because we think we own it. But actually, money isn't ours. The money in your bank balance right now is not yours to own, it's on loan. Uh, And it comes from your heavenly Father. And it's very interesting, actually, when you get down to the detail about money, what God's perspective on it is. So I just want to read out a little passage. Now, Tracy, I hope I go in the right order here uh, of the verses that I gave you a minute ago. Um, but <laughs> if, they come slightly, if they come slightly differently, just roll with it. Um, so this is Luke 16. Is that right? Good, we're getting the thumbs up from the back. So this is Luke 16. And uh, this is Jesus telling a parable. Now, he told lots of parables, but over half of them were about money. And in this one, he actually tells a parable of a, a shrewd manager. And it's an amazing parable, because this guy is not a nice guy. He's, he's really let his boss down. He's been very lazy, he's been a bit slack. And basically, there are lots of people that owe his boss a lot of money. And his boss kind of brings him to account and says, what are you doing, this is a mess. My affairs are a mess and it's your fault. So the guy fears that he's going to lose his job, so he goes out to all the guys that owe his boss some money and says, look, can I cut you a deal? Is there some way I can get at least half of that money back tonight so that I look a little bit better to my boss in the morning? But here's the really interesting thing. When Jesus brings the conclusion in, you think, don't be a slacker at work or don't be a numpty for your boss. But his conclusion is this. He says, uh, this is in 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? That's really, that's, that's kind of like straight between the eyes, isn't it? I mean, the first thing that Jesus makes really plain is that money's just like a test. Like in the kingdom of heaven, money is a very small thing. It's not really a particularly big thing. It says, look, if you can show that you're trustworthy with money, then you can be entrusted with the true riches of the kingdom of heaven. It's a bit like when, when I first became a Christian, um, the pastor in my church said, look, if, if you want to really bless pastors when you serve in a church, just show that you're really faithful in small areas. So if they put you on the car park, do it brilliantly. Be the best person on car park that they've ever seen. He uh, said, if you, if you handle the teas and coffees, just do it with such a great attitude that, that the pastor really trusts you in that small area. Because if they can trust you in small things, they'll be able to trust you with people and people are far more important in, in the economy of God because they're living souls. And this is really what Jesus is saying. He says, look, money is just like a small thing compared to the true riches of heaven, but it's still a test that we have to pass. Now, we don't like tests, do we? We don't, you know, they're quite commonplace now as you go through school, but it doesn't feel pleasant. But it's actually God saying, look, I just wanna show you that if you can really work this area well, there is so much more for you in your walk with me. So God's heart is actually to take you into other areas far bigger than you can imagine right now, But money is one of the keys that opens the door to the next kind of level of your experience of your heavenly Father. Now that's interesting in church, isn't it? Because we tend to major on prayer, on faith, on evangelism, on on all these other areas, and we kind of push money to one side. And Jesus is saying, look, no, we've got to deal with money and we've got to deal with it well so that we can get into these other areas. And then the second part of this is he says, look, Um, If you're not not trustworthy with someone else's property, who'll give you something of your own to look after? In other words, this money ain't ours. Have you ever driven someone else's car? Do you drive it in the same way you drive your own? You won't eat in that car, will you? But you eat in your own. When you put crumbs on your lap when you're eating in your own car, it just (laughs) straight onto the floor. You would not do that if you were borrowing someone else's car, would you? Uh, when you park it, you are petrified about parking someone else's car. With yeah. yours, you're quite blasé. Yeah, that's true. Is that, is that true? Yeah, that's true? So, when you understand that money isn't yours, it, it gives you a greater sense of responsibility for it. But here's the other really cool thing. Because it's not yours, then you can get help. <laughs> It, because it's actually God's. So you can say, Lord, I need your help with this because I've got your money here and I need to deal with it in a really wise way. Could you help me? So now the responsibility is God's to help you steward his finances in a really cool way. So now you're getting help. And we need help. In the UK, we really need help because there are problems. And let me just give you some examples of some of the issues that are facing families right now. Um, at the moment the typical family in the UK has about £13,500 on credit card. So that doesn't include the mortgage, that's just what they've borrowed. And about, well, it's not about, one in two adults, for every one in two adults that you meet, less, well, one of them will have less than £100 in the bank in savings. Now that's not how much money they have in their bank account on payday, it's how much at the end of the month they've managed to save. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I find that quite a staggering statistic. Because what, what that basically means is that at least half of us are living hand to mouth. We, kind of, we get the money in, we use it, and then we need money to come in again, and then we use it. And that's why we're borrowing so much, because that's quite a hard way to live our lives. Just hand to mouth, hand to mouth. Because when there's a bad month and a few extra expenditures items come in, then we've got to borrow, because we haven't actually managed to save any. And so there's, there's some issues in the UK, and part of the problem is that we don't get taught about money in school. Just think back to your secondary school, probably 14,000 hours of blissful biology and uh, wonderful maths and all those other subjects that you love so much. But now, participate with me one more time, I won't do this too often, but when you were at school, how many of you had more than 10 hours on financial education, how to manage your money personally. So not economics, not business studies, managing your money. Who got more than 10 hours? (laughs) It's raining. Isn't that staggering? 14,000 hours and less than 10 on money. We've obviously set the bar too high, so let's just lower it a little bit. Who got an hour? Now for those of you on the front row, no one is lifting their hands. That's stunning, isn't it? That we deal with money on a daily basis and yet we don't get taught anything about it. I spent two weeks chopping up a rat in A-level biology. Since (laughs) leaving school, I have never chopped up a rat ever since, even though I think I saw one in our garden the other day. So it's not something I regularly do now, but I deal with money all the time, yet we're not equipped. We're not equipped. But the good news is the Bible actually gives us so many principles about managing our money in a way that not only honours God, but it takes us on a journey where we get to a place of strength financially. And remember what we were talking about this morning, it doesn't happen overnight. It's about plodding steadily over a course of time that you suddenly look back and go, wow, my finances are not like they used to be. I'm in a better place now than I was 12 months ago. Or I'm in a better place now than I was five years ago because I've done some small things well over a consistent period. And so we're going to look at those just um, through, the, through the next couple of minutes or so um, and just talk about how to manage our money in a way that really honours God. And Jesus was quite scathing of his disciples in the area of money. He says, you guys don't know how to handle money. The world is better at dealing with money than you are. And it's quite a challenge, that, isn't it? Because I think we've got to to not be so super spiritual with no earthly use. We've got to actually get to grips with money so that we can actually get to a place of strength. So here's here's the first thought. And it's really this. The way that we actually recognise God as the source of our provision is through the tithe. That we tithe our finances week by week, month by month uh, on the increase that we're receiving. Um, that we actually put in 10% of everything that God gives to us back into our local church. Um, And the Bible's really clear. Through the whole of the Bible, it talks about tithing as a principle that simply by faith, you're actually acknowledging that God is the source of your increase. Now, Jesus was really quite sharp on tithing. I don't know if you remember, he spoke to the, the Pharisees about tithing. He said, you tithe mint, You tithe cumin, you tithe all these spices, you're absolutely ADDH on tithing. He said, and you forget all these other things like justice and uh, I can't remember the list, but they were big things. But he didn't say stop tithing and concentrate on these. He said, you do well to tithe, but you also need to remember you need to focus on these other areas as well. So Jesus didn't come and go, let's just scrap up tithing. That was kind of old history. That was Old Testament. Now I'm introducing a new way of doing money. He said, no, that's cool. tithing's good. In fact, tithing was first done by Abraham to Melchizedek when he'd won a war. And he tithed a tenth of everything that he gained through his victory. And that was before the law had ever been introduced. And in fact, in Hebrews, it says Jesus is a type of Melchizedek and we are sons and daughters of Abraham. So shouldn't we do what our father Abraham did? (laughs) You can burst that into song. And uh, (laughs) so, so tithing is not something that we just put to one side and go, well, I'm living under grace now. Tithing is actually us saying, God, we recognise that you are the source of our increase, of our provision, and we want to honour you with that. Now the question then is, well, does God need my money? Well, no. He doesn't need our money, but he wants our hearts. But what's amazing about tithing is that it opens us up to an incredible promise. So if you have your Bibles, just turn uh, to Malachi, and it's chapter 3. Let's have a look at what it says in Malachi. Malachi. Because this is an amazing promise. You could write this down. You could put it on your fridge. You can put it in your office. Um, you can have it in your wallet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> It's more of my heavy breathing. <laughs> Someone said once, my, my wallet is like an onion. Every time I open it, it makes me cry. <laughs> so don't put it in there if that's what your wallet does to you. But this is what Malachi 3 verse 10 says. It says, "'Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse "'that there may be food in my house. "'Test me in this,' says the Lord Almighty, "'and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven "'and pour out so much blessing "'that there will not be room enough to store it. "'I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, "'and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit "'before it is ripe,' says the Lord Almighty. "'Then all the nations will call you blessed, "'and yours will be a delightful land,' says the Lord Almighty.'" See, what's amazing about this verse is that it ends with the purpose of tithing. It's that God will bless you to abundance so that other people will look at your life and say, how come you're so blessed? And you will be able to give out of the abundance to all the people around you. But God says, come on, test me now. I'm testing you in the area of finance, so test me back. Because if you, by faith, put the first 10% into the storehouse, Now, I don't think Warrington has a storehouse. So the storehouse is your local church because your local church is where you get spiritually fed. So you bring all of your tithe into the storehouse, into the local church, and then the promise of God over your life that you can now start to say, Lord, I'm tithing. This promise now start to bring to reality in my life is that you will have more than enough. Tithing is an amazing principle that if we can just start to apply, it's going to take us to a different place spiritually and financially. Because what your tithe does is basically say, Lord, I've given you 10%, but miraculously now with that 90%, you come under his covering and protection. And your 90% is able to go further than the 100%, which if you do it on your own and say, Lord, I don't want your help in this area of finance, it just doesn't seem to go as well. See, if you don't tithe, God doesn't stop loving us. It's just that he stand, stands back. In the area of finance, you've decided you wanna go it alone. You've decided you just wanna do this thing called money in your own strength without recognising that I am the source of your increase, the provider for you and your family, and you just think that it's, it's okay to do it your way. So I'm just gonna allow you to do it your way. I'll just step back and watch. He still loves you. He still cares for you. He's still there for you but he's just now allowing you to do your own thing. But the moment you tithe, you're saying, Father God, we're now in partnership. I've released 10% and now my 90% plus you is gonna take me into a new level of financial freedom. I wanna tell you a story about a guy who had a life-changing moment when he was 16. Dun, dun, dun. And dun, um, it's, quite, it's a story from a long time ago, probably about 200 years ago, and this guy was 16. He'd watched his dad and a business partner try and get a business making candles and soap. The Business hadn't been very successful, um, but the boy had learned a lot about the trade. And at the age of 16, he decided he was gonna go to New York to set up his own business in candles and soap. Um, and this is the story. So it says that he actually had to travel there on a canal boat to get to New York, and he was chatting to the captain of the canal boat, and it says here that as he was going on his way, the, the guy that was um, driving the canal boat said, "Someone is soon going to be the leading soap maker in New York. You can be that person, um, but <laughs> you must never lose sight—sorry, um, you must never lose sight of the fact that the soap you make has been given to you by God. Honor him by sharing what you earn." Begin by tithing all you receive. So the boy at 16 goes to New York. He starts again as an apprentice. Every penny he makes, he starts tithing it faithfully. And then he starts to move from apprenticeship to actually owning his own business. And he starts in the soap and the candles and he starts tithing all that he's bringing in. And in the end, the business starts to become so successful he doesn't tithe 10%, he tithes 20%. And the business continues to grow and he starts tithing 30% and then up to 40%. And the guy was called William Colgate. Anyone use Colgate today for cleaning your teeth? Um, That was the start of that company. He was a Christian, and he took that guy's advice, who told him about tithing, and he just made sure that of every every increase in his finance, he would start honouring God with his tithe. Have you ever read a book by a guy called... um, uh, Robert 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 <laughs> I've forgotten his name it's a brilliant book and it's called The Blessed The Blessed Life he's a pastor in America in Texas called uh, called Gateway Church and he says that he's calculated and I don't know how he did it that about the, the the amount of giving in the church is about 1.8 percent worldwide he said could you imagine how able the church would be able to finance missions and projects that go and help the poor and go and minister to all sorts of different groups in society, if the church could just understand the principle of tithing of 10%. But you see, tithing takes faith. We were talking about faith this morning because you have to give out of the first of what you're receiving. And that can be quite nervy, can't it? You think back to when God implemented the tithe, they were farmers. So, out of the first fruits of the first harvest, they didn't eat that, they gave it away. And then they've got to rely on the rest of the crop coming through for them to eat. That took real faith. Because now it was like, this is do or die. We've given away our best, and now we've got to wait for the rest of the harvest to see if now we get some. And they hung on the promise of God. And so we do the same in our giving. But tithing is 10%, isn't it? So we've given 10% back to the Lord. Now we've got 90% left. Now you can claim the promise of Malachi 3 all you like, but if you spend 95% of your 90% that's left over, it's going to be very hard for God to move you to a place of prosperity in finance. So the second part of money is not just tithing, it's then allocation of a resource that you've been given to steward. So money is very simple. If you spend more than you're earning, you're getting less. If you save more than you're earning, you're accumulating money. So it really is only based on two things, income and expenditure, what you earn and what you spend. So if you tithe and then spend more than you earn, you're going to be in a difficult place if you tithe and now you start to apply some of the wisdom of the Bible, you're gonna be in a fantastic place. And so really, with the, with the remaining 90%, there are two ratios that are really, really helpful in thinking what to do with your money. So having given 10%, what most families do is they then start giving to Tesco and to Sky and to British Gas and to Esso And if there's anything left over at the end of the month, they pay themselves. How about having tithed, you paid yourself first. So you set up a direct debit the day after payday that sends 10% of your income into a savings account in the bank. Now, there are two different personalities with money. There are generally spenders and savers. Okay, and and we tend to just split into one of two camps. Some people are very good at saving money and they have a a tendency to be a bit stingy. And others are really good at spending money and giving quite liberally, but they find it hard to just actually keep anything in the bank. I'm not going to look at anybody. If that's a combination in marriage, it's a very interesting marriage. But the worst combination in a marriage is two spenders because <laughs> then there is no check on what is happening. But you cannot, I mean, just imagine. I mean, it's like a bath, isn't it? If there's less, if there's less water coming into the bath than going out of the plug, the level's going down. If there's more water coming into the bath than going out of the plug, the water's going up. It's the same in our money. So if you can deliberately and systematically, month by month, Put an amount into a savings account and if you are a spender, put it in an account that only gives you access after 30 days. So you have to ask for permission to get your money out. (laughs) Speaking to some people. um, But but that now is suddenly going to enable you to start accumulating some money. Now I have heard some Christians say, well, that's not very spiritual at all. That's not living by faith. Saving actually means you are not depending on God. Well, that's not what God says. He says in Proverbs 21 verse 20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp all of theirs down. So he's basically saying, if you spend everything that you earn, you are a fool. If you keep some back for later, you are wise. Who would like to be wise and smart? Yeah, Who would like to be a fool? <laughs> well, then just decide what you're going to do with your money. Yeah, it's true. It's now, some people have asked me, well, do you get out of your debts first and then save money? I, I think that it's probably the other way around. I think save some money first yeah. and then start getting out of your debts. Yeah. And here's why. If you never build up some savings, <laughs> even if you're working hard to pay your debts off, and then something goes wrong, like the exhaust needs fixing on the car, or the boiler breaks down, you've now got to borrow again to pay it off. So it's a bit like playing snakes and ladders. You feel like you're moving up the board, getting out of debt, and then suddenly you hit a snake and you go back down again. If you can save some money first, and then you hit a problem, instead of now going back into debt, you're simply using the savings that you've now accumulated. So before you do anything else, accumulate some money. Tithe and then accumulate some money. Now remember, this is a journey. It doesn't matter where you're starting from. It's a journey that you're going on to become prosperous in the area of finance. And it's small steps. It would be wonderful if you could just get a thousand pounds tomorrow. But unless you're going to go and rob a bank, win the lottery, or do something else illegal, it's probably very unlikely. So you've got to have a plan that says, right, in the next 12 months, I'd like to have a spare £1,000 in the bank that is like untouchable unless something goes wrong. And you start to systematically save that money over a period of time. If you've got £1,000 already, you might want to start trying to work out, well, how much do you spend every month? Let's say that you spend 1,500 pounds on your mortgage, your food, and your bills. Well, then you want to probably accumulate three to six months of what you spent because you've now firewalled your finances and the worst scenario for all of us is that we lose our job. Well, if you lose your job, but you've got six months of what you spend saved in the bank, it then enables you to find another job while you're just working out your notice and you don't feel the stress of thinking I've got no money left. Well, very good. Very good. So why not buck the trend? Yeah. Be one of the be in the half that actually has savings in the bank yeah. and start accumulating money. And don't think that it's actually saying it's lack of faith. It's actually the wisdom of the Bible applied to your life that takes you out of being in the danger zone. Really well, so once you save 10%, what else? Well, the next thing is then to accelerate out of money that you've borrowed. And you've got to understand that we live in a culture that encourages us to spend and borrow money. Um, If you think about the adverts you watch on the TV, half of them are about all the things you really need right now to be happy. And the other half are the ways you can borrow money to buy the things you now need because you've seen all the other adverts. Have you seen the Barclaycard advert recently? It shows these really unhappy people because they can't do the pottery course. They can't go kayaking down the river. They can't do the pony trekking. They can't do the fencing. And then as if a white on a shining white horse in armor comes along called Barclaycard and says, why wait? You can have it now. And suddenly their faces all change because they've borrowed the money on Barclay Card and now they're paying it off later. If you use a credit card, you're basically robbing your future to pay for your today. And your money is going backwards all the time to pay off things you've already done instead of being used to invest into your future. So do some plastic surgery cut up the plastic credit cards, and start to attack them one by one. Make a list of everything that you owe, everything that you own, and then systematically start to pay them off. Because once you've done that, you can now start thinking about the long term. Because you're no longer in a cycle of borrowing and spending money, you can start to save and now invest money. And I want to show you what 2 Corinthians says, um, which is the verse that Barry's used tonight already. about money and how God sees it. So if you can, I don't know, is this going to come on the screen? How am I doing for time, Barry? I'm okay. <laughs> You're a good man. I'm just, I'm just getting into my stride. <laughs> yeah, it could be a very intimate Bible study. So <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 9 is a fantastic passage about generosity and giving. But in this is a real insight into how God sees our finance. In verse 10, it says, Now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see, I love the way Paul describes this because he says, Look, your money is like seed, and some of it is to turn into bread so that you can eat, so that you can live today. But some of it is to sow back into the ground so that you can harvest in your future. So we've got to understand that if we're getting 100%, we've tithed 10 and we've saved 10 just for the rainy day, we haven't really sowed anything yet for our future. So how about another 10% that you start to sow back into the ground for a future harvest that's coming down the line. So we have to find ways of investing our money. Now, investment's quite complicated. It's kind of been made complicated because we take one look and then we think, oh my goodness, this this is too confusing. Let's just put our money in the bank. Well, the bank is fantastic for saving money, but it's not really growing in the bank. Now, the obvious place to put your money if you're investing is your pension. And your workplace now has a legal requirement to set a pension scheme up for you. But what I'd encourage you to do is have a look at what percentage of your income goes into that work-based pension. Because usually when an employer sets it up, it's quite a low percentage. It Could be like 2%, 3% of your earnings. And the temptation is to go, there you go, there's my future retirement plan all sorted. But what we've never done is a calculation of, well, if we put that money in month by month over the next 20 years, what do I have at the end? So have a look at what you're sowing. How much seed are you sowing? Because that that chapter in 2 Corinthians says, according to what you sow, you will reap. So to be comfortable later in life, to reach a place where you're financially independent, we need to start sowing some generous seed into the ground to reap a harvest later. So start thinking like a saver and an investor rather than a spender and a borrower. And try to change the flow of your money instead of it going backwards into your past, start it going into your future instead. And turning some of that seed back into the ground for a future harvest. So your pension is a good place to look at. You can look at various different investment funds and property and we can't really go into where to invest money in a church service like this. But speak to someone who's an expert in one of those areas, but the challenge is at least find some money that's coming in every month to start sowing into your future. Because if you're not doing that, there isn't a harvest that comes later. Got to take some responsibility ourselves for what our future harvest is. So finally, I just want to talk about the mindsets about money. The first one is that money is not evil. And I think sometimes when we're in church, because of uh, the verse in the Bible that says the love of money is the root of all evil, we kind of think, wow, we, we, you know, we shouldn't just touch money. Money's, it's like evil. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, look, money isn't evil. He said the love of money is evil. You can be a millionaire and not love money, and you can be homeless on the streets and really love it. So it doesn't matter about, it's not really measuring how much wealth you've got, it's about the heart condition. You put the money in the hands of a good person, it will be used for great things. You put money in the hands of a bad person, it'll be used for bad things. So money is an area that God actually wants us to thrive and flourish in so that we can use it for better purposes. And he wants to bless this church. He wants to bless this congregation. He wants you to get wise with money, be money wise, and start a journey that takes you from strength to strength. But it starts by recognising where you're at and making a decision about the next step that you've got to take. And obviously when we're talking to a group of this size, everybody's going to be on a different place in that journey. But you've just got to make a decision that the next day, the next week, today, you're gonna to do one step that's gonna take you on a different course to the one that you're currently going down right now. As you start to release ownership of your money and say, Lord, this is yours. I wanna steward this. I wanna treat it like I'm driving someone else's car. I wanna do it in such a way that it really honours you because you are my Father. You're the one who provides for me. You're the one who blesses me. And I wanna honour you with my, with my finance and my increase then God is gonna show you ways in which you can take those steps to financial freedom. And his heart is that you have more than you need. And sometimes I think our goal is too small. It's not just about, oh, if we could just be okay, we'd be all right. I think God wants to overwhelm you with a sense of abundance so that there's an overflow that goes out from your life. But it's not an overnight journey, it's a journey that takes step by step, steady plodding that leads to prosperity, that takes you to a place where suddenly you look back and go, wow, I am, I am different from where we were before. Now, do you know what I'd love? I come back occasionally, and it's a great honour to come here. But wouldn't it be cool if every one of us, between now and whenever I next return, had a goal financially? Why don't you think for yourself, how much money do I currently have in my savings, How much money do I currently owe on my credit cards? What am I currently earning? And then why don't you set yourself a 12-month goal of what you want that life to look like 12 months from now? How good would it be if every one of us in 12 months' time had a testimony that said, my savings have gone up, my debt has gone down, my income has been blessed as I've tithed to the Lord and we're doing great in the church? Because that's your Father's heart for you. It's God's heart for all of us that we apply his wisdom, recognize him for the increase and go from strength to strength. Come, why don't you stand? We're gonna pray. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you that you delight in each one of us here tonight. And Father, I wanna thank you that you're for us. You're not against us. You never have been. You gave us your own son. And your promise is that you will graciously give us everything we need and more. And Father, I want to thank you that you know each and every one of us. You know the number of hairs that are on our head. And when they fall out at night, you do a recount in the morning. We don't take you by surprise. You know when we sit and when we stand. And Lord, you know where we're at right now financially. But I want to thank you, Father, that you are committed to us and that your desire is to prosper us. Your desire is that we would grow strength to strength in the area of finance. And Lord, I just wanna pray that you'd encourage everyone here tonight, that you'd give them a sense of hope in their hearts, that they can change their financial future. That they don't have to look back in their past and think that their tomorrow is the same as their yesterday. That they can do things differently. They don't have to make big changes, just small steps that if applied smartly over 12 months, five years, will take them to a totally different place in their finances. Father, I just pray that with the wisdom that we've looked at tonight that's in your words, you'd enable us, you'd strengthen us, you'd empower us to take responsibility, to reach maturity, to, to take ownership of what you've given to us and give it back to you as good stewards. And Lord, I pray that this church would be not only blessed in the area of finance, Lord, but they would be blessed to be a blessing to the town of Warrington, to the region in the Northwest, to the nation of Great Britain. Father God, we pray for your favour on Barry and Vicky, on the leadership team, on the church, in every area of finances. And everybody said, Amen.